but the same thing's been done across the world too. They take over the education systems. They were taken over a long time ago, and education systems now are, are indoctrination centres. That's all they are. And uh, they're done very slickly and easily now with scientific indoctrination. The children really are given certain slants on everything. They're not given the whole truth on anything, and they're all brought to the desired conclusions. They, they leave there. They're completely roboticised as far as thought is concerned. There's no logic taught in schools or reasoning. They don't tolerate certain questions in schools, and, uh, and so you, you're perfect, dull little citizens. They're approved of by the state. Back with more after this break. Uh, 
levels of high power. Now, this article here says Bill Gates is at it again, throwing money at any researcher with a claim to fame and everything to gain by using scientific advances to prevent as many babies as possible from being born. Soft-kill drugs and the pretext of protection is a common theme for the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. It says cheap, effective contraceptive and HIV pharmaceuticals are now the objective soon to target the third world. Don't think it's just the third world. So they've already hit the first world countries. A University of Washington team has developed a platform, they say, simultaneously offers contraception and prevents HIV. Electrically spun cloth with nanometer-sized fibers can dissolve to release drugs, providing a platform for cheap medical use. The research was published this week in the Public Luxury uh, Library of the Sciences Open Access Journal, Clause 1. And I've got a link for that too. I'll put all links up tonight up on all these talks, uh, articles after the, at the broadcast. The Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation last month awarded UW researchers almost $1 million to pursue the technology. The Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation has committed $10 billion over the next 10 years to make it the most aggressive decade ever to roll out new vaccines to poor nations around the world. The commitment will also effectively create widespread fertility problems across vaccinated populations. I've got a link there for that too, by the way. And it says Bill Gates, he told a recent, recent TED conference, an organization which is sponsored by one of the world's largest toxic waste polluters on the planet, that vaccines need to be used to reduce world population figures in order to solve global warming and lower CO2 emissions. Uh, they're a bunch of liars, of course, and they know it's all bogus science, but it's, it's the real social objectives they're trying to get through. We, we have the drugs to do all that, it says. It's really about delivering them in a way that makes them more potent and allows a woman to want to use it, says author Kim Woodrow, a UW assistant professor of bioengineering. Lextro spinning uses an electric field to catapult a charged fluid jet through air to create very fine nanometer scale fibers. The fibers can be manipulated to control the material solubility, strength, and even geometry. Fibers may even be better at delivering medicine than existing technologies such as gels, tablets, or pills. Nano uh, microchips invisible to the naked eye reality that are already being hosted in a wide range of applications. I've talked about this stuff before, but I'll put this link up tonight to, so that you can go through it again with the latest on the same topic. But uh, be careful what you wear out there. Be very careful. If you think they wouldn't sneak it into the West, uh, yeah, you, know, you don't know it's running you. You understand, in the West and everywhere else in the world, you're all children to them, little children, and they keep you in ignorance. And when they want to sterilize you, they don't ask for volunteers because they wouldn't get anybody going forward. And it's a big global agenda. You know, these guys, when they're on board and they build consensus, it's like an oath they take. When you build consensus, you all swear to go along with it, no, come hell or high water. And they go on and they do it. They've been doing it for a long time. Also tonight, too, I'll have an interview with James H. Fetzer, Professor Emeritus at the University of Minnesota. Uh, Duluth from Madison uh, says here, Christopher Busby, an internationally claimed expert, has been studying the effects of depleted uranium on the burst effects in Fallujah and has determined that it's not from depleted uranium but from enriched uranium where the United States is using some new generation of nuclear weapon already in Iraq, he says. And it says Iran's uh, growing position in global energy poses as a 
uh, competition to the United States and Israel entity, with the former imposing unilateral sanctions as a result, the professor tells Press TV. It comes as the United States carries out its 27th subcritical nuclear test, known as Pollux, in the state of Nevada on Wednesday. Uh, to ensure that Washington can uh, that uh, Washington can support a safe, secure, and effective stockpile of nuclear weapons. So he's another one getting let off Nevada and uh, be into the air and uh, wafting over towns, uh, wafting the desert, and so on. So Press TV conducted an interview with James H. Fetzer, Professor Emeritus, and so on, and it says here, the following is a rough translation of the interview, and I'll put all this up tonight, and there's also a, a video goes with it, I believe. And... Um, they say here, do you agree with some of the points made by our guest, Kenneth Katzman? And Fretzer says, I think he's writing this. The situation is laden with political hypocrisy and historical irony. Iran's nuclear program was in, in, initiated by the United States under the Atoms for Peace program in the 1950s. After the Iranian Revolution in 1979, Ayatollah Khomeini abandoned and denied that Iran would pursue nuclear weapons, a position which is policy up to this date. In 2007, 16 U.S. intelligence agencies concluded that Iran had no nuclear weapons program, a position which incidentally reaffirmed in 2011, as was reflected in the Los Angeles Times article published in February of this year. While Bibi Netanyahu plays the chicken middle of the Middle East, Iran in fact is not pursuing nuclear weapons, and there's really no question about it. Therefore, the suggestion that that's the real issue is completely misleading. We know that the real underlying issues have to be do with Iran potentially competing with the American nuclear energy industry by providing it with nuclear fuel rods for peaceful purposes at lower cost, and more importantly, than Iran, that Iran has abandoned the petrodollar. Nations that abandon the petrodollar incur severe consequences from the U.S., and that, of course, includes Iraq, Libya, and now Iran. I find it embarrassing that anyone would suggest the U.S. is concerned about a nuclear program that its own intelligence agency has concluded does not exist. Number two, of course, is also to finish off the countries that surround Israel, and that's a big part of it, too. And it says here, I haven't heard such rubbish since Mitt Romney gave his last political campaign speech. Israel has a stock of 200 or 600 or more nuclear weapons. Israel has not signed the Non-Proliferation Treaty. Israel does not allow any inspectors. Iran has signed the Non-Proliferation Treaty. Iran has allowed inspectors. The hypocrisy is mind-blowing, isn't it, though, but then that's the world you live in. It's, it's different strokes for special folks. And this one here, too, says here about the weather and all that stuff. We know that the IPCC, uh, which is, it comes out with all these scary stories uh, on, on global warming and so on, because the Call of Rome, the works of the United Nations, dreamed it up for them. They were given the task of finding something to, to sort of unite the world, more, more, more effectively, unite as cash so they could use the cash to supposedly help the third world countries. But it's not it's to help the third world countries uh, open up their doors to international corporations and get cheap labor. But it says 2013 IPCC reports will offer more precise climate predictions. They're getting brand new computers because all their old ones gave us all wrong stories apparently, you see. And so it says the next intergovernmental panel on climate change forecasts won't be released until late 2013. But insiders say that thanks to faster computers and better models, the report will offer more precise predictions and adjust anticipated changes in sea levels and precipitation. It means to be better liars, folks, and give you scarier predictions. That's what that means. I'm just translating it for you. Because this is a social agenda, and this is what they've grabbed a hold of. They will not back down. 
uh, says the world's climate forecasting specialist. The specialists are always wrong. We'll soon be releasing much anticipated new predictions concerning our number of extremely weighty questions. How warm will the climate really get? Will sea levels continue to rise, which are not? Uh, where will it rain more and where less? Well, all you could do is phone up all the air forces that are out there spraying the skies every day for their first since 1998 on a daily basis as they alter and modify the weather. Just ask them. They'll tell you. And also, as you go through all the scary scenarios of, of, of melting and, and no water and all that, blizzard conditions, snow and bitter cold batter Europe claiming lives, it says here. So much for the rain and a thing of the past. Europe has seen much snow and cold over the last of the five winters. And they said, so they said it was going to be a thing of the past. Really, eh? More on this after this break. Hold on. Hi folks, I'm back. We're cutting through the matrix and reading this article about the blizzard conditions, snow and bitter cold batter, Europe claiming lives. And it's supposed to be a thing in the past, of course, and even the politicians and bureaucrats were all uh, putting money away for warmer, a warmer future and all that kind of stuff. And sort of planning for cold and all that. And, uh, and people are freezing, of course, to death. And it's just so much for the rare thing in the past. Europe has seen much snow and cold over the last five winters. Spiegel reports heavy winter weather taking a deadly toll across the continent. Four people died in Croatia and one in Serbia because of the cold. Authorities reported Sunday traffic came to a standstill at many locations. The airport at Zagreb was closed for hours. Also, German President Jochen Gok was delayed for hours flying back to Germany. Southeastern Europe was hit especially hard with up to half a metre of snow falling in the Balkan region. More lives were claimed in Poland where Spiegel writes the winter outbreak claimed three lives Friday. Temperatures in some regions fell below minus 15 degrees centigrade. And Spiegel writes that the German meteorologists at the German Weather Service are expecting up to 20 centimetres of snow by Monday accompanied by dangerous blizzard conditions. And no change in the weather is in sight. Snow, ice and frost will accompany us through next week, it says. Then it goes on to give you more reports in other countries and, and so on. Scandinavia was hit too. So things are really uh, uh, going back and forth as normal. That's how things go, back and forth normal in nature. And uh, it doesn't matter, though, uh, as I said, boys with consensus and global warming have to ram it through for the social agenda and this fairness policy of distributing your wealth across the world, you see, to their big fat corporations. Obama gives OK for black box data recorders to be installed in all cars. Now, they have these things in, in Europe. Actually, I think it's by law. And it, also the ones in Britain uh, are tracked by uh, satellite, too. Uh, it started really under the insurance uh, lobbies groups pushing it all too, who got a big kickback from the makers of all this, this sort of equipment. And uh, if a car is stolen, they claims, then they can always trace to where it is and sometimes get it back if it's worth getting back. And, uh, and it's really to track the, the people themselves, as you well know. So anyway, this is the start of this black box in, in uh, America. Uh, I don't know if it actually is global position satellites recorded or not, but it says here, uh, it says that by December 2014, all cars and light trucks will be equipped with EDRs that will silently record the actions of drivers and responses of their vehicles in a continuous information loop. 
and it includes uh, vehicle speed, whether the brake was activated in the moments before a crash, crash forces at the moment of impact, information about the state of the engine throttle, airbag deployment timing, airbag readiness, etc., where the vehicle occupant seatbelt was buckled. And it says it claims that the EDRs do not collect any personal identifying information or record conversations and do not run continuously. Advanced EDRs can collect detailed information about drivers and their driving habits, including the size and weight of the driver, seat position, habits of the driver, as well as passengers. The excuse is that EDRs gather information about car crashes in the moments leading up to the accident that manufacturers can use to improve their safety measures when constructing vehicles. However, the government regu- uh, regulation utilizes surveillance technology with policies that do not align the expressed use of the data collected in the EDRs. The Alliance of Automobile Manufacturers is opposed to U.S. Congress requiring EDRs in all vehicles by legislation. Although they admit that even data recorders help our engineers understand how cars perform in the real world, but looking forward, we need to make sure that we preserve privacy. Automakers do not access EDR data without consumer permission, and any government requirements to install the EDRs in all vehicles must include steps to protect consumer privacy. Well, that goes out the window with governments these days. They've told us there's no privacy in this day and age. Now, Pfizer, one of the big pharmaceutical companies, um, has lost $700,000 in gold dust. I guess someone sneezed in the lab. eh? But it says... um, this is a company known for Viagra and other things, has reported that about $700,000 in gold dust has come up missing at its Chesterfield, Missouri lab. Contra police, uh, Pfizer is unsure of how the gold went missing, prompting them to contact police to help determine where it was lost or stolen. How could you lose it? How could you lose it? Experts say that depending on the purity, that much gold would weigh up to 30 to 70 pounds. The, the, the purer the gold, the lighter it would be. We're not even sure if they just didn't account for it and it was used naturally or if it was stolen or misplaced. It doesn't tell you what they use it for, but they do uh, say that uh, it can be used in arthritis injections right into the joints and stuff like that. Sometimes um, certain forms of cancer where radiated gold is placed directly onto the tissue. It's, it's all amazing. It's all like voodoo, isn't it? But anyway, this is uh, this has all gone missing for them. So no, they'll be well covered with insurance, so don't worry about it. Not that you will. 27 dirty little secrets uh, that every parent needs to know about vaccines, it says. This comes some examples of what Merck, the manufacturer, does not know about Gardasil, whether Gardasil prevents cancer. It doesn't know. They keep saying that. No, they don't know. Gardasil has promoted a vaccine which prevents cancer. Here's what immunologist Charlotte Hogg, MD, PhD, writes in her article in New Scientist. Despite claims that the vaccine will cut cancer deaths by two-thirds or more, its overall effectiveness in the prevention of cervical cancer remains unknown and will not be known for decades. They won't know. Mind you, they already know the side effects. And like death and strokes and things. Necessity for boosters. It says information regarding the possible necessity and intervals for boosters doses is unknown. That's like all boosters. Uh, and, and that, that too. Whether Gardasil increase, will increase the risk of cancer. The vaccine has not been evaluated for the potential to cause carcinogenity. It hasn't been tested to see if it will cause it. Absence of evidence is not evidence of absence. <laughs> Back with more on this after this break of chronology. You're listening.
listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi folks, I'm back. We're cutting through the matrix, talking about Gardasil and what even the manufacturers can't tell you, they don't know themselves. It says that whether Gardasil increases the risk of cancer, the vaccine has not been evaluated for the potential to cause carcinogenity. There may be increased risk of cancer due to replacement of some virus strains with new strains, which may be more carcinogenic. If HPV-16 and HPV-18 are effectively suppressed, will there be selective pressure on the remaining strains of HPV? Other strains may emerge as significant oncogenic serotypes, cancerous or cancer-causing. And it says, uh, it says whether there's increased risk of cancer due to the unexpected discovery of aluminum-bound recombinant HPV-DNA, Dr. Sin Hang Lee, a pathologist at the Milford Hospital Pathology Laboratory, was contacted by Sainvax to examine Gardasil for possible contamination. The samples tested positive for the recombinant viral HPV-11 and viral HPV-18 residues, both of which were firmly attached to the aluminum adjuvant. It is unknown where the recombinant, genetically engineered HPV DNA is capable of altering human DNA, potentially initiating cancer where there's increased risk of autoimmune disorders due to the recombinant HPV DNA. It's unknown whether the genetically engineered HPV DNA or adventitious DNA is capable of altering human DNA, potentially imitating a host of autoimmune disorders. What's common with so many of these vaccines now, you get massive allergies breaking out right after them of of all kinds and, and actually worse. And it says, if HPV is necessarily an infection transmitted by sexual intercourse, Merck states that HPV is sexually transmitted. However, they surely are aware that HPV infection has been found in placentas, umbilical cord blood, and in infants, so it's not necessarily an infection which is transmitted by sexual intercourse. And it says, an unknown but extremely large number of girls across the world who are already exposed to HPV are being pressured into taking the vaccine with a consequential risk of cerebral cancer being increased by 44.6%. And it says, um, that's from Dr. Jim Howenstein, MD. It says, not only is this, this unethical and cynical, it's downright criminal. Whether Gardasil causes genotoxicity, according to product information, this has not been evaluated, haven't tested it for that. Where the vaccine targets the relevant virus strains in different demographics, a May 2008 study on high-risk and multiple human papillomavirus, HPV infections, and cancer-free Jamaican women presented at the second annual International African Caribbean Cancer Consortium Conference cited that the most important finding was unlike the genotype distribution patterns seen in North America, Europe, and some parts of Asia, HPV type 16 and 18 were not the most common high-risk genotypes. Why is Gardasil marketed globally through the Gardasil Access Program when HPV 16 and 18 may not even be prevalent amongst the targeted population? So, massive money-making things causes a lot of problems, of course, with those who get the vaccines, and it may not even cover the types of uh, virus that are actually in certain populations. So, there you go. Well, now, with all this is happening, too, we've got... uh, this incredible, it's, it's perpetual war. I've, I've, I've mentioned this article before from the military, but it's called Perpetual War, and it's to be that from now on, and that was done years ago, that article. 
But uh, that's what we've had. There's people growing up, that's all they've known and heard about. It's perpetual war. And that's the intention of it all, too. And it says here that uh, 3,000 U.S. troops secretly returned to Iraq via Kuwait. And uh, it says, uh, on 9th of December 2012, 3,000 U.S. troops have secretly returned to Iraq via Kuwait for missions pertaining to the recent developments in Syria and northern Iraq, Press TV reports. According to our correspondent, U.S. have secretly uh, not so much entered Iraq in multiple stages and are mostly stationed at Balad military garrison in Salahuddin province and the Al-Assar air base in Al-Anbar province. Reports say the troops include U.S. Army officers and almost 17,000 more are set to secretly return to Iraq by the same route. All U.S. troops left Iraq by the end of 2011 after nine years of occupation as required by a 2008 bilateral security agreement between the two countries. So things are still going on as business as usual. And let's go back and forth and back and forth. Tonight, too, I'll put up an article, two articles actually, uh, on one of them is a, a video on autism. And the official recent findings on it again, as if this so-called debate on it. It says there's now one in 88 children uh, got it in some form or another. It says the federal response to rising rates of autism, hearing panel one, part one, it's called here. I'll put this up for those who want to listen into it and bring up your own comments. And also this other one too, it says here that... Um, on the same uh, 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 same meeting, Congress spends a lot of time discussing and debating issues that are determined by our own philosophical belief on what the role of government should be. Today, we're drawing attention to something that's no political affiliation, no partisan allegiance, something much more fundamental and more personal. Right now, one in 88 children are identified with autism spectrum disorder, or ASD. At the start of this century, that ratio was one in 150. Actually, it was a lot... Uh, it was way beyond 150, uh, real autism. The, the truth is we don't know enough about ASD. We do know, however, it's been diagnosed far more frequently than it was just a few years ago. Well, what's causing it? Because the Glenn Self's better diagnosis, right? In recognition of this increase and of the reality that we don't know enough about ASD, the Congress passed the Combating Autism Act in 2006 to establish the Interagency Autism Coordinating Committee so it could facilitate an exchange of information and coordination in the hopes of raising awareness and understanding of ASD research and services. In fiscal year 2012, Congress directed $230 million for ASD-specific research and services, and they're still in the dark. So they claim this. Still, haven't got a clue. Well, it's injections, folks. It's injections and a whole host of other things have been added to it, probably injections, the food too, the bisphenol A and all the, the stuff and so on. But uh, old type autism uh, was recognizable right at birth, that the child didn't get into the first milestones, didn't come up to the stage where it say mama, papa, all that kind of stuff. The present type do, and uh, full-blown uh, autism, uh, they're normal up to, to get their first shots and to get their fever and all the rest of it and immediately start regressing. And they can't say that mama, papa, or anything else anymore. They don't even have eye contact anymore, uh, whereas before they did. So they know what's causing it, but that's part of the agenda. It's total war on you, remember. 
Bisphenol A is back in the news. They're always on about bisphenol A. What should they do about it? What should they do about it? Oh, we're going to ban it, but they never do. Not, not totally, anyway. It says, bisphenol A, a substance found in many synthetic products, is considered to be harmful, particularly for fetuses and babies. Researchers from the University of Bonn have now shown in experiments on cells from human and mouse tissue that this environmental chemical blocks calcium channels in cell membranes. Similar effects uh, are listed by drugs used to treat high blood pressure and cardiac arrhythmia. The results are now presented, presented in the journal Molecular Pharmacology. So the industrial chemical bisphenol A is worldwide, used, worldwide extensively used for manufacturing polycarbonates and synthetic resins. It's also put into different things and, and, and makeups and everything else too that goes through the skin, insufflation they call it. The substance has been shown to affect the hormonal system and may have negative effects on the function of enzymes and carrier proteins, reports Professor Dr. Deitzer Swandula from the Institute of Physiology at the University of Bonn. BPA is associated with heart disease, diabetes, obesity, cancer, and neurological dysfunction. It seems that fetuses and newborns are particularly sensitive to BPA as a physiologist. Due to its unpredictable effects, the EU Commission banned the use of BPA in baby bottles in 2011 as a precaution. It shouldn't be in any bottles, actually. Now there should be like your lining of uh, your tin cans if any of stuff in it either, which they do. Anyway, it blocks multiple essential calcium channels and various other things as well. So I'll put this up to tonight too. Uh, see, this is not by mistake. They've known this since the late 1800s, by the way, when it was discovered. You know, what it, what it did. And this one too is in Britain. Officials are being allowed to trawl databases, including the Royal Mail and student loans company, track down missing voters in a new trial. This is the, this is the con they're using to find out missing voters. Data matching can be used to fill in gaps in the electoral register ahead of the launch of an individual voter registration in 2014. Ministers, which are politicians and bureaucrats, say the technique is as accurate as ID cards, but it's raised, raised privacy concerns. Now listen to this. This is, this is an interesting spin you see you get from the Fabians. Labour peers said it would have been easier if ID cards had been introduced. So each time they bring forth the ID cards, uh, people don't want it. So, so here they are. Doing the, giving permission to, for the databases to be trawled, all your internet stuff be trawled by the government uh, to claim that they want to find missing voters to get the argument started again so they can bring back forth the ID card issue. You see? Anyway, it says that the, the, the Labour guys are all pushing for it. The ID card scheme was scrapped by the Coalition Government on Privacy, Costs and Civil Liberties Grounds. But electoral registration officers are now faced with the problem of varying the identify of millions of voters without a central register. Astonishingly cheaper, it says. Labour peer Barnes Hater, that's a good name for her, said the government is no doubt ruining the day it decided to scrap ID cards. She's been pushing it for years from the Fabian Society. All these hurdles they are now trying to go through to get a more accurate electoral register would not have been there if we kept ID cards, she told the BBC News. And also Labour peer Lord Maxton has called in the House of Lords for smart card technology with a central database. So here it comes again. It's all really to get the ID card rolling once again. Land of the free, eh? All that stuff. What a joke. What a joke. And Canada votes against the United Nations motion for inspection of Israel's nuclear program, it says here. 
Canada was on the losing side of the vote Monday as the UN General Assembly overwhelmingly approved a resolution Monday calling on Israel to quickly open its nuclear program for inspection and backing a high-level conference to ban nuclear weapons from the Middle East, which was just cancelled. All the Arab nations and Iran have planned to attend the conference in mid-December in Helsinki, Finland, but the United States announced on November 23rd it wouldn't take place, citing political turmoil in the region and Iran's defiant stance on non-proliferation. Iran and some Arab nations countered that the real reason for the cancellation was Israel's refusal to attend, and if Israel doesn't attend, uh, then the ones who run the states won't attend either. I'll also put up tonight, too, a little uh, video, and you'll hear Brzezinski actually talking about uh, um, the the wars uh, around Israel, Israel's wars, you might say. And he says, if Israel wants to go to war with Iran, he says, America won't be following it like a little puppy dog. Well, that remains to be seen, doesn't it? Depends who's running America. And... We know that uh, these end-of-life case, uh, cases are going on all over the place, all over the world. This is going to euthanasia. And, and you see, it's all to do with cost-cutting, you see. We're so broke. We're so broke with all these wars and, and bailing out other countries one after another. Borrowing money to bail out, borrowing money to bail out, borrowing money to give out to other third-world countries as loans, which we can then write off when they can't pay it back and then give them another one. But you just don't want to pay it back to yourselves and stuff like that, you see. And, you know, these people who've worked their whole lives and lived in their own countries and been paying up all their taxes to pay for all these things all these years, uh, they just want them dead quickly so that they don't cost any money at all. There's more wars to fight and things like that, you know. There's more corporate welfare going on. I mean, they've got to bail them out every so often, give them, give them the money, the taxpayers' money for big projects, you see. And uh, so the Supreme Court in Ontario is here to, of course, end-of-life care case, it says. Top court, uh, judge court, uh, reserves judgment, no hint when decision will come, it says. Who gets to decide when medical treatments are no longer worth pursuing and, and should be ended, the doctors or the patients? In the case of those who can't speak for themselves, they're surrogate decision makers. Is continuation, discontinuing care when doctors seem all hope of recovery is gone, the equivalent of allowing a patient to die, or is it hastening a death? In the coming weeks, the Supreme Court of Canada's justices will be mulling over these questions and what the law says about them as they craft a judgment in a case entitled Brian Cuthbertson et al. versus Hassan Rosili by his litigation guardian and substitute decision maker, uh, Pariker uh, Salasel. Ontario the judge, a case was argued before the court Monday in a three-hour hearing. And so this is a, this is a, a landmark case, whatever ruling it will be. Chief Justice Beverly McLaughlin uh, closed the proceedings by saying the court was reserving judgment. No a hint was given as to how soon a decision might come. When it does, though, the Supreme Court's ruling is expected to have a profound effect on how decisions are, are taken in end-of-life care cases across Canada. Parties throughout the health care system and those who scrutinize how such decisions are made are relieved the country's highest court is taking on the issue. Uh, they, actually, did they have the right to decide who lives and dies? And also, we'll go into what's like Britain. I mean, what's your, what's your, what's the patient's value to society? You know, how, how important are they? You know, all that kind of stuff. This is where it's all going. And you can't put this into the hands of, of, of the courts. No, you can't. They're taking all the other decisions away from the, from the general public and the families and all the rest of it. And here they go for your life now at the end of life too. And, 
an article to Dr. Hans Labom on skepticism in Europe. He says the tide is turning very much alive and kicking again about, about climate skepticism and people, what people really think about all the nonsense that's going on today. And this article says that the Doha conference to, to re-sign the Kyoto, it says it feels utterly only 37 countries agreed to extend the old Kyoto Treaty and lots of declarations of intent. So the German media reports that only a totally uh, lame climate treaty compromise was reached in Doha and Kyoto will be extended until 2020 for those who signed it. For those calling for rapid reductions in CO2 emissions, the result in Doha can only be described as an utter disaster. The Doha agreement will do nothing, absolutely nothing, to curb CO2 growth, let alone cut net CO2 emissions. One reason is that few countries are left taking part. Online's Focus magazine reports that only a few countries have signed on to the extending Kyoto 1, which Focus calls a minimum compromise. Only 37 of 194 countries signed on. That means the treaty is internationally non-binding. The only thing that's certain is that there are going to be many more climate junkets in the future, wasting more taxpayers' money. And of course what they're going to do too is bring in carbon taxes regardless. Because because the big boys decided that long ago they're going to do that. The left-wing Times reports that these 37 countries are responsible for about 15% of global greenhouse gas emissions, and it still remains open how high uh, the planned reductions will be. Those that signed on to make reductions couldn't even tell us how much. The conservation FAS, against conservative FAS, F-E-A-Z, reports on financial assistance to developing countries. There were lots of declarations of intent and voluntary commitments from a few European countries, but nothing binding here either. The Green Activist Daizit also comments on aid to developing countries, writing, There were only vague promises in agreement. Indeed, it says at the beginning in 2020, at least $100 billion a year will flow from public, private and other sources, but there is no agreement on where the money will come from or how much will be made available in the years leading up to 2020. Here, too, are lots of empty promises. So... I guess people are just so fed up with it, but also we've got so many other things like wars and that to go on for a while yet too. There's also uh, a first court date for the lawsuit against the Bank of Canada. I'll put this up tonight. It's a video. And for those who like to find out what that's all about, you can peek in. I'll put all these links up, remember, tonight at cuttingthroughthemedics.com. Back after this. I'm Alan Watt. We're cutting through the matrix. Also tonight, I'll put up a small victory. Small victory. There's not many victories in this world. But it's uh, in New York State. This is uh, Pulaski, New York. Maybe a small town of just 2,400 residents. But it's now added itself to the list of more than 130 communities across the country that have, been, that have banned the addition of fluoride to their water supply. And it goes into fluoride. And, of course, and it's... Um, I should talk about sodium fluoride, uh, which is an industrial-grade hazardous waste. That's still, it's still a hazardous waste, and they put in your in your water, for goodness sake. And um, this it was in its past history been used as a rat poison and insecticide as well. And this is, you know, you, you can be conned into anything by the big boys who get you to actually eat or drink their waste. It saves them having to pay big fees to get it disposed of like they used to. And also... In Britain, this article here, 
is about uh, families in Britain walking about 20 miles or so for food handouts. Britain's been destroyed by this war, you understand, this long-term war, destroy everything in the family and yada, 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 and the nation and the culture, and it's done, it's finished. So there's families walking for 20 miles for food handouts from food banks, and, and it says they can't afford uh, trains or bus fares or enduring five-hour round trips to food banks, it says. And they're so strapped with cash, they just keep walking, some of 20 miles. And Mercia said the needy people are enduring the five-hour round trips to food banks, and they can't afford any means of transportation. It comes as Chancellor George Osborne introduces cuts to the benefit system that will leave some of the poorest families £2,000 a year worse off, as they wanted to redistribute their wealth across to third-world countries. The lens of people, uh, people are being forced to go to just to get hold of basics such as soup and baked beans revealed yesterday by volunteers at the charity food bank. And it goes through some of the stories and so on and so on. And some of them get soaked going in, uh, you know, walking miles and miles. But uh, yeah, Britain's gone, it's actually worse than uh, the industrial year when it began there. They're just totally destroyed. And in France, of course, it's now getting its own, um, Fiscal cliff, as they like to call it now, this this buzzword put out by the big economists, like it's, they just suddenly noticed it, sort of thing. Anyway, the rich French are moving out into Belgium to escape all that massively high taxations, and it says uh, he's one. It was uh, Gerard Depardieu, who's an actor, moves to tiny tax haven in Belgium, just 800 yards from the border, where a third of people are French citizens, dodging Holland's high taxes. And uh, it's France and, you know, and anyway, it's and Holland, actually. And it says here, they were paying 75% of his earnings in taxes. I thought the population of the Belgian village of Necken is already French. And it says a 64-year-old actor's lavish home in the village of Necken on a street known as Millionaire's Row is less than two minutes' drive from the French town of Roubaix. It says Depardieu the latest wealthy Frenchman fleeing the looming new tax of 75% on all earnings over 1 million euros, about £850,000. And uh, around a third of the 2,000 strong populations were already French. And he added he's moved in already and he's very welcome here. And the folk, the folk who, uh, I guess the mayor and all the rest of them are happy to have all these rich folk moving in and probably building new houses and things like that too. So folk are trying to escape with the, the coming, uh, you know, the massive taxations that are getting imposed upon them by all their governments after going through all these wars that we're still funding, of course, to bring in the communistic system across the whole planet run by and lead to the top that runs all the money. From Hamish myself from Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me, your God or your God's go with you. <laughs>